0: Hi, welcome to the first episode of Interlinking Insights. No, it's not another podcast series from Web Engage, but an extension of the State of Retention Marketing podcast. In this episode, we have curated insights from two D2C startups in India, ones famous for selling ACV tablets and another for featuring on Shark Tank India. Let's discover the entrepreneurial journeys of Rishab from Plix and Jatan from Perfora.
1: Me and my co-founder Akash, right, had two different businesses in the plant-based space. While our visions were uh, similar, we were competing and we were Mm -hmm. like, uh, it doesn't make sense to compete, right? And we both were struggling in terms of resources. We were like bootstrap new age founders with no prior uh, experience in building a company before, Mm -hmm. right? Young guys in like our mid-20s and we were struggling with resources, like hiring talent was a big issue and all. So we decided instead of competing right why don't we join mm. together and me and akash are very different personalities you we were focused more on finance and ops uh very meticulous with uh what you call financial acumen and I was the pure marketing guy right i'm, I'm the guy who's like uh Jugado, indian will love to get into indian psyche understand what works like and then build a company right so we have two very different personalities and we realized this is a great fit right sure and we should merge our businesses mm. and then scale it right and we decided to do that. And since then, it's been like from 0 to 1, we went to 1 to 100, 100. Like 1 and 1 made 11 for us. Very cool. And we scaled the business cat, like phenomenally once. Me and Akash. So merged. who had
2: the Plix brand and did that survive or did you have both own your, your own brands and how did that play out?
1: So in fact, we both own different brands. But what uh, we realized was that uh, I think we had a brand called Olina. Uh, which we had kept by the way when we merged mm-hmm. also. And we put it into the Plix ecosystem because we really Plix was more associated with the plant-based sure. name, right? So, and I think our numbers are fairly similar. Only that wasn't the mm. concern. It was more that we believe that Plix as a brand associated more with the consumer behavior, right? Because sure. Plix, the plant fix is associated with plant-based. Mm. And then we had Olina. And over a period of time, since we merged the brands also, you would usually think your revenue would drop, right? Our revenue didn't drop. Combined sure. revenue is yet similar. And after we merged the brands, in fact, we were able to get the same number of revenues. Slowly, mm. slowly, we moved away and dissolved Ulina mm. and today it's only Plex. Fair.
3: During the last five odd years, during my achievement in Wadham stint, one thing was very clear. I love consumer brands. I love the journey of building a consumer brand. I love being a part of it. I love solving for consumers. So it was but natural for me to start thinking, you know, what can I do? How can I add value to the ecosystem? How How can I come up with something that, you know, probably millions of consumers will love it? And uh, so that was a thought process. I wanted to do a consumer brand. I was understanding and trying to think of white spaces. I was trying to think of what is that problem that is still needs to be solved. In so many conversations with my co founder, Tishar, uh, where we had a long spreadsheet of different categories and different problem statements, you know, is acne as a problem solved, right? Skincare is solved because skincare is a lot of cluttered. But is there a brand that is the go to acne removal brand, mm. for example, or, you know, is there a brand that can help you with your both protein and beauty as a supplement right at an intersection of both you know or is there a brand that is doing some very interesting work in sexual wellness which is a niche and a category with has some amount of taboo but 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 it's an interesting category right so so we spoke about a lot of categories and in one conversation we started thinking about and talking about oral care and we realized that where we both the Tushar and I are very like the context is both the Tushar and I are very active new age consumers, right? So we would pick up the newest brand of, on the shelf or, you know, we would sort of go out and shop on Amazon or a DTC website and see, okay, what are they doing different? Let's see. Let's understand more about the product. Let's see what the founder story is. Let's see what they're writing on the packaging. And then you would have, you know, internal conversation, nahi you know, न, या, या, mm. So, all of that happened, and uh, during our oral care conversation, we realized we, as consumers, had upgraded pretty much everything that we consume today on an everyday level to a relatively newer age brand, right? Mm. So, like, we're both uh, big coffee consumers, but we don't drink Nescafe, Cafe, right? We probably drink a Sleepy Owl or a Blue to Pie or a Third Wave, sure. etc. Uh, and if we if you use a face wash we don't use a nivea we probably use a man company or a bombay shaving company or any new age brand whether that's a minimalist etc right sure. and that was true across right whether that's personal care or food to some extent even apparel or sneakers and we realized you know why is oral care not being upgraded right why are the same set of products being used that have been and that we've been using for the last two decades or so mm-hmm. why are there no new brands bringing out a new narrative for the younger audience, which is, you know, people in the age bracket of 18 to 40, right? And uh, that was a broad thought, the macro level thought. And then we started going deeper into the category to understand are the products good enough? And then we realized the products are shit, right? The design is shit. The narrative is shit. It's the same old 9 out of 10 dentists recommend this product, right? And uh, and and I think like we spoke to about 400 odd consumers, uh, people who felt, who we felt were part of our target audience. So, understand if this is a problem that exists in our mind or it's a slightly larger problem.
0: After hearing those captivating stories, let's delve into how Rishab and Jatan effectively tackled product challenges in their respective organizations.
1: And one big problem we realized was weight management today, right? The okay. so, TAM is huge in terms of numbers, right? We very clearly realized there are a lot of people looking at it. But we also realized that there weren't great tasty solutions to solve weight management, right? And what we came across is A couple of products like an apple cider vinegar liquid today, right? And we looked at it in terms of product. It was selling a lot on Amazon. The numbers spoke about it, right? We saw uh, brands doing significantly well, selling thousands of units a day. But if you fundamentally taste the product, right? The liquid is something you just cannot consume, right? And that is something we realize is a problem to solve Mm. today. So what we did is we took apple cider vinegar liquid. so And we made it into an effervescence tablet, made it into a super amazing yummy drink. And that did phenomenally well for us. And that's where the ethos got built is we realized this is PMF, right? Mm. Now you've taken a problem which uh, Indian consumers have, right? Which is weight loss. And there's another problem is they cannot consume this liquid because it doesn't taste great. Let's make it tasty. And let's give it to them in a much more convenient way, right? Today Mm. you can carry an effervescent tablet in your pocket travel all across the world you want. Take it to office and conveniently have it. It's just all you need is water. yeah, And it tastes great. It's It's something you want to consume. And that was the PMF we realized and the product just scaled, right? It scaled phenomenally well with massive customer love. And so we realized this is what we need to do, right? We need to take mm-hmm. traditional ingredients which don't taste good uh, make them fun, interesting and something you want to consume. And that's from that ethos we started launching a lot of products. So we've taken ashwagandha and launched it in an effervescence format which mm-hmm. is masala soda. Mm-hmm. We've got a caffeine effervescence today. Instead, we don't want to consume caffeine or black coffee. It doesn't taste good. It's a fizzy great cola which you can consume. A lot of these ingredients Done in weight management, in beauty. And that's been our product ethos and logic, right? We'll take traditional ingredients, make them absolutely fun and tasty, and give it to the consumer in a very economic point. So if you even consume a Plex ACV, right, today it's like 20 rupees a serving. Mm. And that's how much you would pay for any carbonated beverage. Much. But now you're getting no sugar, you're getting to control your appetite, which is what you want, right? So that's the roadmap. And with that, we've been able to scale. So that's talking more of on the product journey, right? And how we decided to evolve from maybe a plant-based protein-only company to talk about more bigger problems and solve customer needs. Also, what we realized very soon is we're going after a lot more millennial consumers. That's our TG, right? 20 to 45 people who are just started earning want to look and feel good, right? We
3: started going deeper into the category to understand are the products good enough? And then we realized the products are shit, right? The design is shit. The narrative is shit. It's the same old 9 out of 10 dentists recommend this product, right? And uh, and And I think, like we spoke to about 400 odd consumers, uh, people who felt who we felt were part of our target audience. So understand if this is a problem that exists in our mind or it's a slightly larger problem. Um, the insights from those consumer conversations were very interesting where people said in their head, they treat oral care equivalent to a skincare or a hair care. But when it comes to their buying behavior or purchasing behavior, that lens does not apply because the same consumer would spend anywhere between 20 to 25 minutes deciding upon the kind of serum that they want to buy for their skin or for their hair but they would not even buy their toothbrush or toothbrush themselves right which was a very different uh, you know uh, buying behavior so we felt you know this is broken and we need to fix this we need to come up with products that are better more functional more cleaner well designed so that Indian consumers can really start uh, you know investing in good oral care
0: Hero product, a crucial asset for every brand in acquiring new customers. Beyond laying the foundation for user retention and creating opportunities for cross-selling and upselling, it significantly contributes to achieving impressive ROAS and retention metrics. Keep listening as we uncover the hero products of Plix and Perfora, exploring their unique strategies in this dynamic landscape.
2: Let's zoom in into how ACD became the market leader from Plix that it is today because i'm sure it's not like it was easy i'm sure there was competition i'm sure there were challenges with respect to distribution scale up brand uh, establishment over scale so tell us a bit more about the journey
1: so for us uh, building ac obviously wasn't um what do you call like a journey which was like 0 to 1 right or it was just we launched ac and it it catapulted right there was a lot of yeah. work which went into the product um, we also very really realizes it's very important for a brand to look at aov so if you look at our website right we don't sell single-selling uh, SKUs, right? Mm. Uh, we'll not sell you a, a pack of around 350. We focus on AOV. Because we also want you to see the health benefits of it. So when mm. we first launched the Apple cider vinegar, we very soon realized that the unit economics don't make sense at 350 price point. So what we did is we pushed it into a pack of four, right? Uh, where consumers can then actually see the benefits of it. But uh, doesn't
2: it hurt the conversion rates?
1: No. Because you will want people to try the slightly smaller price point and that would. So the logic here is you're a health and wellness brand, right? Now, when someone uses the product for ten days, right, and if we give him a small packet, what's going to happen is he's not going to be able to see the true benefits of it, mm. right? So while it might impact a little bit on conversion rates, it's a very strong call we took. Is for him to see benefits, he needs to build a habit of consuming the mm. product, which needs to be for a month or two months, right? Mm. So let him buy a pack of four; it's all right. But the customer who buys a pack of four will we have to see the true benefits of the product, and then we'll stay in a longer life cycle, right? I don't want. People to buy the product and drop off, right? That's not what the customer want to invest in. I want someone who's there for the long run, right?
3: Again, we did another round of consumer interactions to understand what is the problem. Because if I was speaking to someone like you and I don't know whether you use a manual toothbrush or electric toothbrush, but like I'll take the broad assumption that you use a manual toothbrush. I would ask, you know, hey, Ankur, you're well-to-do. You use an iPhone, you use a MacBook, but why manual toothbrush? And you would come up with answers like, yeah, you know, it's true. Too heavy. I don't know how the technology works. I don't want to get into the hazards of you know if it goes, if it mal, if if it malfunctions, who is going to be responsible? There's no service center out there. Where will I get it replaced or uh, get the product picked up, etc. So the value chain, the ecosystem is broken, and uh, uh, I'm not comfortable spending thousand fifteen hundred uh, rupees on a tool because I don't understand the concept. Right, I don't understand. what is the difference between a manual and electric? Right. So these were the some of insights that we got and we thought okay let's make it uh, closer to what a consumer requires or is expecting right so we really worked on the design we worked with an industrial designer to help us carve out initial designs of you know what a sleek and beautiful looking electric toothbrush should look like and would look like then we worked on the technology of it because most electric toothbrushes uh, that are very heavy and bulky in design are also rechargeable right and that is a challenge because people don't, people who are constantly traveling, they don't want to carry their toothbrush charge al- alongside it. They wake up one day and they say, this is not charged, what do I do now, right? So we figured out, okay, there could be a different mechanism of, uh, you know, powering the toothbrush, which is a AAA battery. So we worked on that technology and uh, then we started doing pr- prototyping with our manufacturer. There were quite a, b- quite a few iterations in terms of how the technology functions and what all changes are required to be done to, make a workable prototype. We got about, you know, 15-20 samples. We distributed it in our friends and family. People used it. Some of them liked it. Some of them didn't like it. People who didn't like it, we also understood what were their reasons and we realized, okay, uh, you know, it's a perception, right? That you've been using a manual toothbrush and you can't change overnight, right? So and my classic case for that would be uh, driving a manual versus an automatic, right? Uh it it takes a while to get to that transition right yeah. so so I think we realized maybe the other ten customers who didn't like the product they love the design they love the technology they love the experience but they're just not comfortable using it and they get there hmm. as in man more awareness and adoption happens in people around closer to them in their vicinity start using the product so that's how we started out we worked with a design studio who did our initial set of you know brand architecture and packaging they also like as part of our design agency we also gave them the mandate that okay hey you will also have to speak with 50 customers and uh, and we'll set up those interviews and calls from our network and understand what a consumer is expecting and come up with a brand design and language that will do justice to the audience that we're going after.
0: Retention has emerged as a day zero challenge for many, prompting solutions to be considered even if not executed immediately. Let's now delve into how these two startups strategically built their teams to tackle the intricacies of retention and discover the insights and strategies that shape their approaches to this crucial aspect of business growth.
1: I think we have a decent, quite a scaled up retention Mm, team mm. who makes sure that these journeys are extremely personalized because that's what we believe is the difference, right? If I send you a vanilla content saying, Uh, what do you call... Take, for example, have fit and slim to lose weight. I don't think it's going to move it. But if I tell you that uh, Ankur has consumed ACV for two months along with a healthy lifestyle and has been able to lose 5 kgs of weight and he was, in fact, able to accelerate his weight loss by adding fit and slim to it, right? Now, that's like... You believe in it because you put a name to it, you put a photo to it and you've spoken about his journey. So, that's what we... is. Really works, and you that's so you mentioned.
2: Made. You have a fairly evolved retention team. At what point in your journey did you start this whole effort around user engagement, retention, cross
1: sells? I think this was, I think started quite late, right? And mm-hmm. I think we didn't start it till we were a decently scaled up brand. Uh, so decently scaled up, any numbers that you can put to it? So I think we started working on retention maybe when we were around like a three crore to four crore mm-hmm. era, a month. right? And I think that's very late. I think we lost a lot of opportunity and free ROAS and better retention metrics if we had done it a lot earlier. Okay, so that's one mistake that you'd recommend
2: people be very wary of. Start early.
1: Start early because I think the learning curve and retention is huge. And you might think it's easy, right? But it's not plug and play, right? Mm. It takes... So I think for us, it took maybe 15 months, right? To really get it right and get Mm. all the tech in play, the integrations in play. It's not easy, right? And I would really recommend there is a solution, right? Which just Mm. plugs it in and you can like, like a switch on, switch off, right? But it's not that. There is like, so much work to be done in terms of templates and this and that. Oh my God. And the, just the understanding of data and content together, right? Because
2: you said personalization is very key. At the same time, you're using a lot of user-generated content. So for a marketer to be look at uh, these two sides of the equation sometimes can also be hard. So help us understand the composition of this retention team that you've now put together.
1: So uh, we have a CGO uh, who's Kritika, who's, sure. I think, phenomenal good at retention. Um, so she's built out uh, the retention at Westside right? which has great metrics uh, and then she, she's used a lot of those journeys uh, to build a lot of the team out here mm. also um, so we have Kiteka who spearheads growth for us and she has around we have around four member team in that mm. who works on retention everyone has different capabilities sure. uh, someone works with CleverTap, mm. then there is whatsapp automation where we work with LimeChat. chat mm. then they, also a lot of the part is sourcing the content right sure. which is so we have one liaison who only works with the content team. Okay. And for Plix, content is like the most important hmm. thing, right? Hmm. It's our right to win today. We have like a maybe a 20 to 25 member content production team. Okay. Right? Right and that's where all the magic happens. So we need one person who's always working, liaisoning, getting the right content and then people like the, the person who's responsible for tab will plug it in, for LimeChat will plug it in, for email, uh, they'll plug it in. So that's how it works. So we have at least a uh, five-member team in retention today. So the logic is we do catch-ups, mm. right? Uh, as a key metric, uh, the team, what I think would work for Plex also is we track ROAS on a daily level, right? Okay. And we track what works or doesn't work. Mm. So what we do is the moment something is doing better than a, average, right? That information is passed on. So coordination is very critical, right? Uh, we To be honest, the amount of communication we have, right? Like, Just take a guess of the number of WhatsApp groups I have with my co-founder. Just to give you a level, like, take a guess.
2: Okay, now that you say it's probably runs into what, at least double digits? Triple digits.
1: Wow. Yeah, like maybe 170.
2: Different (laughs) WhatsApp
1: channels, so to speak. Just communicate, right? Yeah. So that's the amount of communication is the key, right? And we keep, so the moment there are like maybe 10 to 12 groups in retention we'll have, right? And... Uh, So the moment something does well with the content team, there is one retention, there's one obviously silo retention, there's one with the founder, there's one Not too many, but then (laughs) the one with the content team, they will share the data, right? That Mm. this ad is done well, right? We need more of this or this is done poorly. The CTR is poor, right? So then let's not do this communication anymore. So that communication is very clear, right? They explain and tell them what works or doesn't work until you don't get that right, right? Otherwise, and teams start working in silos is redundant. So they really need to know what's working. So super high touch for the back and forth in terms of uh, yes. knowing what's working, what's not working, yeah. and putting that Correct. back into the. So the action. retention team tracks the ROAS, tracks mm. the metrics. We have one MIS guy only crunching numbers on retention. So they are right? tracking ROAS, which is typically an acquisition side of the equation, or how? No, do you look we look at ROAS? at ROAS even in retention. Okay. Yeah. So everything. So for us, everything has to be maths, right? I tell it. Right. it comes down from one of our investors. No English, only maths. I'm not joking. Fair enough. That's <laughs> so, fascinating.
2: Yeah. Uh, when did you start thinking about it what are the first steps that you took around uh, putting the people together maybe putting the tech stack maybe putting the data layers uh, together let's just run, a, run through that bit a little
3: sure so I think we started thinking about it in about 2-3 months when we launched okay uh, and then since the team that we have is a is a young team who thinks on first principles try and solve problems on first principle thinking in terms of team for the longest time we had only one person was managing both the acquisition and retention. Of course, she had the help uh, of you know folks at Webengage to navigate our way through retention. But now we have a team of about four people where one person is looking at data, one person is looking at communication, one person is looking at what kind of offers to run and what channels to push out, what communication. So so that's a three people team spearheaded by one person who looks at the entire PL. So so that's what the team setup looks like.
2: And from a data gathering and organizing and unifying perspective, given that uh, uh, you do intend to have a long-term play with your own platform, that's where your larger emphasis uh, is going to be, is fully, fully sorted? And at what point did you start capturing? Or I don't know if you yet integrate uh, if you have a customer care ecosystem, if you have a chat ecosystem, if you have a chat bar ecosystem. Is all of this coming together?
3: Yeah. So all of this is coming together and we invested on all these things fairly early on. You know, first six months, very limited resources, but we still had a sure. uh, chatbot, a WhatsApp interface where people could sort of DM us. You know, one person would look after all the incoming, you know, text. I would personally look after all the emails and Insta DMs that we would mm. get. And then we had another person would look after all the phone calls that were coming in. It was a team of four people. So three people have already explained what they were sure. doing apart from doing their other additional, uh, jobs, additional yeah. jobs. Uh today, we have a customer experience team of about four, five people, and they look at emails, they look at you know WhatsApp, they look at phone calls. We also do outbound calls to people who have abandoned their checkout to understand what is mm. the challenge. Is this a is this a price issue? Is this uh, you know you're just not made up your mind? Can we help you out with understanding the product better?
2: Sampling or is this everyone? This is. On abandoned checkout, right? So or people so have, some people just to get a sense of it or no, everyone? for everyone. For everyone. Okay.
3: So we've built that and we're still building that entire uh, resource pool.
2: Resource pool. Yeah. So in terms of staffing, you put in the right kind of people there. Uh, is this a set of people who've already done this before? Are they mature practitioners or more like first principle thinkers who can learn fast it, and adapt fast?
3: A combination of both. Uh, but we are personally very inclined towards people who are first principle thinkers and people who want to do something interesting and unique and they bring the right attitude mm. in terms of building a company. So for example, I'll tell you, the first person that we got on board for our customer experience team is a qualified lawyer. Okay. Uh, she's practicing law and she's not enjoying that domain and she had reached out via network. You know, Hey, uh, Jatan, you know, I love what you're building but I'm not really happy in my job. I think it sucks uh, and uh, I want to do something interesting. I want to be part of the uh, brand building journey? Uh, is there an opening? Is there an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Now of course, he's very well-spoken, can write really well, can argue well <laughs> if required. <laughs> uh, so that was the first uh, strategic hire for the customer experience team. Someone that we hired second, came, you know, had worked at Zomato, then had worked in sales, then had worked in operations. And then we got him on board because we felt he was bringing the right attitude towards solving customer problems, mm-hmm. right? Irrespective of, what his work experience was so so we got him on board today we have a team where it's a mix where people have a very unique and interesting background which is not relevant to what they're doing but they're doing a great job at it and they're people who come from this industry and they're learning and adapting to our work Mm. culture and our practices because unlike a large company we operate in a very unique way
0: now let's tune in to understand whether and how they are steering retention in their respective startups
2: Awesome. So, well, the reason I bring up all of these conversations around building an enduring business very, very tightly knit with number driven approaches is because we've seen retention uh, to be pretty much critical in an existential fashion for D2C companies. And if you don't understand this timely enough and you invest in the wrong things, probably burn your money in the wrong places, it is almost fatal. I mean, it's it's in fact fatal for a large number of companies there, right? So, help us understand, uh, Rishav, a little bit about how the whole venture capital uh, changed your life or if it did not because you started off as a bootstrapper who was also, a Marwadi in you know in the mindset, so you wanted to be very tightly controlling a lot of aspects of how money is getting spent and how it's bringing value back. And uh, couple that with the obsession slash need to grow at a certain aggressive pace, right? How does the whole sensibly staying sensible
1: thing work here? One, so I'll just talk on importance of retention, right? First, I think uh, we need to understand that retention is key, right? Because while there is not an infinite pool of customers fitting your PMF, your cohort, right? And once you've acquired them, it is very important to make sure that they stay on to the brand, right? Mm. They keep buying because the moment a customer is acquired, you've you spent enough money of CAC on like acquiring them, right? And most probably you've already made money on them on the first order, and most brands would have most probably burnt money also on it, right? Uh, so it's very important that you're able to then over the next one year or six months make sure milk the customer enough to get. Like a positive unit economics, sure, and that is where your brand will become sustainable and you'll mm-hmm. be able to then spend a lot more at right? the moment. Take for example, what I think is why retention is the key, right? Take for example, you spend you're spending 500 rupees on CAC, right, and you're break even at 500, right, um, on, on the first order, right? Mm-hmm. You, then you cannot scale your business more and you will not be able to increase the marketing budgets more Sure. because the moment you increase the market, your CAC will increase. But now, take for example, your retention is amazing, right, and he's buying twice more, so his mm-hmm. LTV is maybe like. Uh, what do you call 1,500 or two, right? 500 is yep. the cost of the yep. products. So it's 1,500. And assuming you have 50 percent gross margins everything cut together, you're making 750 bucks on it. On that customer. So now you have 250 rupees more to spend on that guy, right? Yeah. So 250 rupees more per customer you can spend. That's a, then that's... the uh, CAC you can increase your, this thing by, right? From 500 to 750. That's the efficient reaction. That's thing. the... <laughs> yeah. And then your budgets can go from 50 lakhs to 1 crore because now this thing. And then if you optimize more and you get them to spend maybe 2,000, then you can go from 75 lakhs of budget to maybe 1.5 crores. And the moment you increase your marketing spends, right, your visibility will increase. The moment your visibility increases, your brand will grow. And that's how you'll be able to scale sustainably. So that's where I believe retention is the key, right? The moment you are able to get that, right, you are able, you'll be able to increase more on your CAC. So how does the attention
2: span uh, now split between retention-led growth, which is a more sustainable way to grow, versus aggressive acquisition-fueled growth, which is typically the venture capital bad way to grow? how do you see that interplay
1: so i think both things are required uh for us at plex right in fact even there's something while you would hear a lot of vcs say oh, grow at any cost i think though that that conversation is now changing to profitability mm-hmm. while it wasn't that 3 years later our vcs were very clear that uh, we need positive unit economics sure we do not want to be growing a business where you're spending more to acquire. You're burning money on a customer, right? Mm. So fundamentally, that's something even they were aligned on. And as a founder, me and Akash, since we were bootstrap, we were aligned on. So we were very clear that we will only grow as much as the business can sustain it. Sure. And we will not make assumptions mm. on what my LTV will be, right? The so LTV is and that will be the CAC max of it, right? In fact, we, in fact, as the business has grown, we evolved to make sure that we break even at least on the first order, right? Mm. So those things are the key fundamentals to build a business. It is very important to make sure that acquisition is only driven to a matter of fact we are not burning capital on that customer and LTV is not assumed, right? You wait to get the real LTV of the customer maybe for six months or one year and then decide it and then after that retention is key. Today for police, right, retention numbers are very good,
2: mm-hmm. right? They're
1: strong. In fact, I also think it helps that the journey is nutraceuticals where someone will want to consistently have keep having the product, right? Sure. Uh, so that definitely helps but I think that's one of the reasons, right? When you have already a chunk of customers every month who bought back, the, the stress on a- acquisition is a lot lesser, right? And when the stress on acquisition is lesser, they make much more informed choices, right? Because they don't have the stress to perform because maybe 40-50% of the revenue is already being taken care of. Yeah. So that really helps a lot.
2: So which brings us to the favorite topic of my conversation, which is retention. So you're really thinking repeats and uh, cross-sells and upsells pretty much from day zero or when did this become... A part of your active conversations?
3: I think we have thought about it uh, pretty much from day zero, but we've not implemented it on day zero. And there's a reason for it. Uh, The reason is very simple in our head. Let's say if we have, you know, 10,000 customers, which is a fairly small pool of people, and you know how early stage brands are limited resources, limited number of people, limited number of hours. So should we be focusing on taking that Ten thousand pool of customers to twenty thousand over the next three months, or should we be focusing on, you know, making that out of those ten thousand, getting those 20, two thousand people repeat. repeat in our in our head? Till we achieved a certain scale, retention would not make sense mm-hmm. from it in an absolute number. It wouldn't, yeah, it did not, it won't move the needle in absolute sense, right? Percentage wise, you know, if I were to show that number to investors, you know, ten thousand customer, two thousand people, three thousand people are repeating, great. Mm. But for me, the meaningful number is 1 lakh customers, even 10% or 12% are repeating that's 4x of sure. the smaller base, right? Okay. So we've started doing retention activities pretty much in the last six months, mm. which is about an year and a half into our journey when we realized now we have enough number of customers who know about the brand, who have bought the brand, who are excited about the brand. And how can we start, uh, you know, how can we sort of, uh, Start doing things so that they start transacting more, right? In wow. the month two, month three, month four, month six. And
2: Would we be able to put a, let's say, revenue scale and a number of customers scale to the whole retention effort that you started six months ago? You said enough, but quantitatively, is this like, whatever, 100,000, 500,000?
3: I think for us, that number was
2: about 100,000. Sure.
3: Uh, in terms of customers, right? Till the time we didn't have 100,000 customers, we felt it's it won't make a lot there of sense. There are other priorities
2: to chase in yeah. some sense. Obviously, there's a founder level, the mindshare is the biggest asset, so to speak. And from a revenue scale perspective, this would have been in the ballpark of... About a crore. A month. Yeah.
0: Many D2C startups are prioritizing content not just for customer education, but also as a means to re-engage, showcasing the diverse use cases of their products. Let's sit through the last piece of this episode and find out how Risha and Jatin strategically leverage content to drive retention in their ventures.
1: So if you look at our website, right, we don't sell single uh, selling SKUs, right? Mm. Uh, we'll not sell you a th- uh, pack of around 350. We focus on AOV. Because we also want you to see the health benefits of it. So when mm. we first launched the apple cider vinegar, we very soon realized that the unit economics don't make sense at three fifty price point. So what we did is we pushed it into a pack of four, right? Uh, where consumers can then actually see the benefits of it. But uh, doesn't
2: it hurt the conversion rates? No, because you will want people to try the slightly smaller price point,
1: and that would. So the logic here is is, are a health and wellness brand, right? Now when someone uses the product for ten days, right, and if we give them a small packet, so what's going to happen is he's not going to be able to see the true benefits of it, mm. right? So while it might impact a little bit on conversion rates, it's a very strong call we took. Is for him to see benefits, he needs to build a habit of consuming the mm-hmm. product, which needs to be for a month or two months, right? Mm-hmm. So let him buy a pack of four. It's all right, but the customer buy the pack of four, will we have to see the true benefits of the product, and then we'll stay in a longer life cycle, right? I don't want people to buy the product and drop off, right? That's not what the customer want to invest in. I want someone who's there for the long run,
2: right? But there's two parts to it. One is, of course, if, if he's bought it, does not necessarily translate into consumption because people feel that they bought it, they might as well consume. And the other lens is uh, the repeat window. After, uh, let's say, 15 days, 20 days, 30 days, the, the whole uh, consumer psyche changes in terms of how they perceive the brand and if they're uh, still attached to the brand in some fashion or
1: not. So, how do you look at this interplay? So, the two things we do is we usually want the customers to say a longer journey, right? But also, what we do is to ensure the customers connected we do a lot of content sure so there are multiple touch points with the customer right so one we break our entire content play into like transactional uh, educational and then it's revenue right mm-hmm. so one is transactional is basically your basics where you uh, make or sure the customer gets the product delivered the entire journey which is there yeah. but what we also do is we start an informational play right mm-hmm. man- expectation setting you need to consume this for 60 days you need to consume this like 60 days or anything. It's 90 days, I think. Sure. Right, so that he knows that he has to buy the second pack and third pack, right? Mm. To Improve retention, how to consume the product. Then what we'll do is then once the educational is done, we'll then push it into revenue. We will also tr- start upselling him different products and we'll upsell them the product there. In is the same there a 30-day split journey. split
2: between, I mean, transactional, of course, is very event-triggered or action-triggered. Correct. But the educational versus revenue, is Correct. there a, you know,
1: conceptual split that you have in your mind on how to do this? Yeah. So we have a... What we do is we don't introduce revenue till the customer has tried the product for seven days, consumed it, believed in it. Mm. Till then we push a lot of content play, right? Which is to inform the customer of the brand, our deep expertise in it, how the product is so good tasty, uh, customer testimonials on how people have consumed the product and seen changes, mm. right? We also, in that we'll also in the communication, we'll put in that how customers have bought multiple other products of clicks and seen the impact, right? So, he realizes the benefits of consuming multiple products of so And what, then the revenue comes in.
2: A lot of social proof which would should yes. go into CRM channels. Is that Correct. what we're saying? Yeah. Could you zoom into this a little bit? You know, so you said the same model of using other products that will go into this guy's communication. Correct. What would this look like? Is an email from Plex where I'm an ACV customer, but this is going to talk to me about the uh, Slim Shake. Is that what we're saying?
1: I think UGC is one of the keys, right? There are a yeah. lot of D2C brands. It's very important to show the customer what other consumers have gone through. Right? and how they've been able to transform themselves, the results they've seen, what are the expectations they have. Mm. So that is a very key factor and we leverage that a lot. Okay, so just from a perspective of the fact that the large extruder is
2: ACV as mm. a starting point of the product, and then the customer journey starts from there very similarly. So the pathway from that to the next purchase that will happen, will that be very different or will that be somewhat
1: similar? How
2: does you know the path move across different
1: product lines? So every product has its own journey created, mm-hmm. a specific, personalized, based on the problem the consumer is looking to solve. And we define
2: it. But are you able to articulate that because the guy is buying the same product? So what are the different problems he might be trying to solve?
1: So it depends, right? Mm-hmm. So take, for example, a person, we we articulate a journey based on product. So sure. someone who's buying an ACV, mm-hmm. he will have a specific journey, he will have a specific communication. Someone who buys maybe a gasi Cambodia, which is a different product of us. Sure. He will have maybe a slightly tweaked journey, while I think the ethos mm-hmm. overall will say the same. There will be some tweaks in the sure. communication. So based on the products he buys, we, mm. we've built a very different journey for Fair. each. And the UGCs will change because the UGCs now need to talk about how Ghasinai Kambuja had somebody else. So that has been personalized.
3: We are probably the second largest, most followed oral care brand in the country, right? Most and
2: followed you mean on social On products. Instagram, okay. right? On That's a, a conscious investment you made towards brand. Yeah.
3: So that's a conscious investment that we have made we will scale that up, we will build that community, we will invest in content, we will try to change that perception, right? We're the only brand today that does limited edition drops where people wait for a few months to sort of buy that new special, you know, pattern toothbrush or a special flavor of toothpaste or a special flavor of chewing gum, etc. And on top of it, like on the brand side, we've not only done, uh, we've done a few things on social media and instagram but we've also invested heavily in emails right we have so we are one of the brands that's known for writing very detailed and uh you know human oriented emails right so via emails we don't try and sell our products what we try and sell is our brand right we try and tell people okay what is going behind the scenes you know Mm. for example if you're a consumer of our brand you would want to know out of curiosity that Who is Jatan's inspiration, right? Or who's Tashar's inspiration? Who does he look up to? Or, you know, how does he spend his Sunday? You know, if someone's joined our team and relocated from, let's say, uh, Northeast, you know, why did he make that move? Mm -hmm. And how's the experience for him settling into a new city? Uh, You know, recently I wrote a newsletter which got a fair bit of, uh, uh, you know, appreciation where we've. We, for the first time, a couple of months ago, we had launched dual color electric toothbrushes, right? So the brush head is of a different color, and the handle is of a different color. And the honest story behind that inspiration was that I may see my father wears a turban, and I've seen him growing up while I was like uh, at my parents' place uh, earlier on that he would sort of very uh, specifically match the color of his turban and his shirt, right, and make and do the contrast, etc. So that was an inspiration. That can we do something? In terms of colors, right, and people loved that story—that so honest, so raw on how did you go about figuring out new colors for your electric Mm paper. And that emailer had uh, images and pictures of my father wearing turban with a shirt, and coincidentally, it was similar colors to what the toothbrush colors are. Right, so people just love that authentic, honest way of storytelling, Mm -hmm. and and that's how Roas gets improved, right? Because Mm -hmm. you read that newsletter; it's a seven-eight minute newsletter. And then you realize, okay, hey, this is beautiful. Let me share it across in my network. You forward it to 10 odd people. They'll take a look at the brand. And I don't have to spend on paid advertising to acquire two or other customers out of the Mm -hmm. 10 that you forwarded already.
0: That wraps up our inaugural episode of Interlinking Insights from the State of Retention Marketing Podcast. We trust you found these snippets intriguing. We value your feedback and welcome your suggestions and appreciation. Feel free to reach out to us at sormpodcast at webengage.com Stay tuned for more compelling content ahead.